Father, you said that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We all have areas of our lives that are shrouded in darkness this morning, and we need the light of your word to shine and to help us see what's going on in those areas of our lives. And so, would you do that through your word this morning? I pray for your help. Give me your heart. Give me your love. Give me your wisdom. We want to be under your word and learning from your word this morning. And so, come and do that now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start by having you imagine a family. Think a husband, a wife, maybe a 13-year-old son, 9-year-old daughter, and they decide to go for a hike up in the mountains, see some scenery, get some time together. And so they hike up in the mountains. They're enjoying the scenery, getting farther and farther up. And and as the afternoon moves ahead, they realize that they are lost. And then a a freak's winter storm breaks in, blizzard conditions, and they realize that they are in a perilous condition. Thankfully, they have cell reception, so they call an emergency number, and they are forwarded to a search and rescue team. And the leader of the search and rescue team assures them, we have a large search and rescue team, we'll be there, we will find you, we'll rescue you, hangs up the phone, and then the search and rescue team starts to organize the team, get them together, but he realizes as he starts to that this will not be easy, because part of the worship and, worship, excuse me, search and rescue team Part of the search and rescue team is uh, distracted by maybe watching a TV program. They're not interested in going. Another part of the search and rescue team, well, they've got some bitterness against other people in the search and rescue team, so they don't want to work together anymore. Others in the search and rescue team are so discouraged by the TV watchers and those that are bitter that they've quit the search and rescue team, and so there's very few members of the search and rescue team left for the team leader, and so he takes the few that he's got, goes up in the mountains, but because there's so few of them, They can't cover the area that they normally would cover. They're not able to find the family. The family ends up dying of exposure. Tragic, tragic story. If you heard that story, you would be outraged at the search and rescue team, wouldn't you? Now, what I want you to feel the seriousness of is that that is exactly what Satan is trying to do with the church. All of humanity is lost in the wilderness of sin. God, in his great love and mercy, has sent Jesus to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, so that by faith alone, we can be reconciled to God and completely forgiven, and then formed into the church, which God says, you are my search and rescue team. Go and find lost people in the wilderness of sin. But Satan works very hard to use our sin to disrupt God's purpose for the church. He works very hard to cause division so that we're not willing to work together, to distract us so we're not involved in the search and rescue team, to become disillusioned with church so we just give up on it. And so fewer people are saved if Satan is successful than could have been otherwise. Satan is passionate about using our sin to disrupt God's plan for us to be a search and rescue team. Let me get real specific. Satan is passionate about using the sin here involved in us, we, you, off-island church, so that the off-island church will not be the search and rescue team that God wants you to be. And that's Peter's concern as he moves into 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. 
Let's look at what he says in this passage. Now, in chapter 1, verse 22, he calls us believers to fervently love one another from the heart. He wants us to love each other, to care for each other, to come together because that love and that unity is essential for where he's going to go in chapter 2 in terms of our mission, to proclaim God's excellencies to lost people. So Peter knows he's just called us to love each other, but he knows that Satan works very hard to disrupt God's plan for the church. And so in chapter uh, 2, verse 1, Peter lists what sins can disrupt God's plan for the church. Look at what he says, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Let's just go through that list. First, Peter mentions malice. Now, malice is when someone has hurt you, and you're angry at them, and you feel revengeful towards them, and anger and revengefulness is not love, and so Satan wants to use malice in your body here to weaken what God's purpose is for this church. That's why he says, put away all malice. Don't leave any malice. Put it all away. Second, he mentions deceit. Love and unity and togetherness depends on on honest communication, right? If there's deceit, if there's lying, that, that fragments relationships, that fractures love. And so if there's deceit in our fellowship, then God's plan for the church will be undermined. Third, he mentions hypocrisy. You know, to work together in love and, and unity we need to admit our weaknesses and our failures to each other, right? That's crucial. But if instead of admitting our weaknesses and failures, if we're hypocritical, which means we pretend that there's no weaknesses in us, that there's no failures, and that's going to jeopardize, it's going to weaken the love, the mission that God plans for the church. Fourth, Peter mentions envy. Put aside envy. To work together... To love each other, we need to rejoice when each other is blessed. When others receive a blessing, we should be happy. Envy is where we aren't happy when others are blessed because they have something we don't have. And, and envy undermines love. It weakens affection. It, it, it creates division and disunity. And when there's envy, then God's plan for the church is disrupted. And finally, Peter mentions slander. Love and unity and mission depend on encouraging each other, uh, affirming each other, speaking words of blessing to each other. But slander is when we speak badly of each other, we speak ill of each other, behind each other's backs. And when a church body has slander going on, it undermines God's purpose for the church. Now, Peter has just listed these sins. These are sins that Satan wants to use to disrupt the mission, the unity, the love of the church. But Peter doesn't just want us to know what those sins are. He also wants to tell us how to overcome those sins. It's not easy. If you have felt malice, malice is a a matter of the heart. If you have felt envious towards someone, that's a matter of the heart. And heart issues can't be overcome just by an act of the will. We need a supernatural work to change our hearts. 
right? And Peter says there's something that we can do to experience God's supernatural work, and he describes it in verses 2 and 3. Look at what he says. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed, now just a little parenthesis here, that word if in the Greek can sometimes mean because, and that's the case here. So he's not saying if you've tasted, he says because indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation because you've tasted that the Lord is good. So how do we overcome these sins? It's by longing for the pure spiritual milk. Now, what is this pure spiritual milk that we're to long for? I found a hint in verse 3. Peter says, if indeed or since you've tasted that the Lord is good. So what he's saying in verse 3 is because in the past you've had times where you've tasted the Lord's goodness, therefore earnestly desire for God's goodness now. And so I think that the pure spiritual milk is tasting of the Lord's goodness. Just another way of describing the same thing. Earnestly desire, the pure spiritual milk, means desire, a fresh experience of tasting God's goodness. And isn't it curious that he uses the word tasting God's goodness? Because that's very different than just understanding that God is good. You can understand God's good without tasting and feeling. Like if I had a jar of honey in front of you here and I said, this is really sweet, you you would know that it's sweet. But knowing that it's sweet is very different than tasting that it's sweet. If you put your finger down in that honey, and mm, now you really know. And that's what Peter's talking about here. Earnestly desire pure spiritual milk, which means tasting of God's kindness. Here's how John Owen put it. John Owen, one of my favorite theologians, 17th century Puritan pastor. Here's how he describes what Peter's talking about here. He said, to taste of God's goodness is to have an experience of a savory relish and sweetness in converse, that means communication, and communion, that means fellowship with him. Savory relish, sweetness, makes you get hungry, right? This is what John Owen's describing. This is what it means to taste of the Lord's goodness. When we earnestly desire pure spiritual milk, we're desiring a fresh taste of God's goodness. So when you take time during the week to open up God's word and to pray over the scriptures, God will give you times when you not only know that he's good, but he gives you a taste of his goodness so that you are filled with his goodness. You behold his goodness. You know he's good. You're satisfied with his goodness. His goodness will melt your fears. His goodness will dissolve your malice. His goodness will give you a passion to have integrity and not have hypocrisy in your relationships. When you are filled with the experience, the taste of God's goodness, your heart is supernaturally transformed. We've all experienced that. Because you've tasted that the Lord is good, you've all tasted that. Peter says, you know what I'm talking about. So like newborn infants long for this pure spiritual milk. And just like newborn infants, you know newborn infants, right? When they're hungry for milk, they're crying, they're screaming. We've been staying with Brian and Michelle uh, from the ECC on Island Church, and they've got little Madeline. Madeline, when she's hungry, 
she's just screaming. And next moment, bottled was in, ah, perfectly satisfied. That's what'll happen. When you taste the Lord's goodness, when you taste the Lord's kindness, your heart will be filled and sin's power will be overcome. That's what Peter is talking about here. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed or because you have in the past tasted that the Lord is good. A couple years ago, I was uh, brushing my teeth, bathroom sink, and all of a sudden this thought flitted into my mind about how a friend of mine had something that I didn't have. And to my shame, I just felt this envy start to rise up in my heart. Slow, but it just, it became strong and stronger and stronger. And I could feel my love for him diminish. I could feel bitterness rising, envy rising, and I knew I was in trouble. So I finished brushing my teeth. I grabbed my packet of Bible verses, which I take with me oftentimes when I pray, and I walked out to a creek near the house that we lived in in America where I would often pray. And I just said, Jesus, help me. Look at this heart. This heart is full of envy now. This is ugly. This is sin. I can't change this heart. Help me. Change my heart. Forgive me. He assured me of forgiveness. And then I I looked at the, the verse on top of my stack of Bible verses, and it was Psalm 86, verse 5. The Lord is abundant to all who call upon him. He's abundant in mercy to all who call upon him. And so I just prayed over that verse. I said, Lord, help me to see this more clearly. And as I did that, the Lord gave me a taste of his goodness. I I could see that God was perfectly good, abundantly good to me in, in giving me what I did have and in what I didn't have. Right? That's how God is good. And then he so filled me with his goodness that I didn't even need anything. It was like... If I've got you, Lord, if I've got your presence filling me with that pure spiritual milk of Jesus and his goodness, then I'm full, then I'm content. And slowly, as I prayed over that verse, Psalm 86, 5, my envy shrank and my love for this brother grew and my bitterness shrank and my heart was changed. So see, that's how Peter tells us we can overcome the sins of verse 1. It's from verses 2 and 3, longing for the pure spiritual milk. I hope that you all, every day, take some time where you put everything else aside. Open up God's word. Pray over God's word until in a fresh way you meet the Lord. You see, you know, you feel, you experience the truth of who he is as revealed in God's word. Okay, so verse one, the sins which can disrupt God's plan for the church. Then verses two and three, how to overcome those sins. But Peter's not finished with this topic. Verses 4 through 12, he tells us what kind of church we will become as we do that. And he lists four attributes, four characteristics of what kind of church we'll become as we earnestly desire the pure spiritual milk of Jesus' kindness. First, he mentions, we'll be built together into a loving and united spiritual house. Look at verses 4 and 5 to see this. As you come to him, notice this is how we do these things. It's as we come to him, we're desiring the pure spiritual milk of his kindness, so we're coming to him. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, 
you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. How? By coming to him, we're built up as a spiritual house. Now, here Peter's changing metaphors, okay? Now, instead of being newborn infants, okay, switch your hats. Now we're living stones, a bunch of separate living stones that God wants to build together into a spiritual house. So we're living stones, and instead of Jesus being pure milk, now Jesus is the pure, I'm sorry, is the chosen and precious cornerstone. Now that verse cornerstone, the word cornerstone is not in verses 4 and 5, but it's in verse 6. So Jesus now is the chosen and precious cornerstone. So God's purpose, I mean, look at all these different stones here, all these living stones, different shapes, different sizes, right? How are all these different living stones going to be fit together into a spiritual house? That's God's plan, to have you come together. And the way God does that, just like a builder in Bible times, builder would take a cornerstone and lay it in the exact right spots, perfect choice cornerstone, and then all the other stones would be lined up with that cornerstone, and by lining up all the other stones with that cornerstone, all the stones would come together and become a building. And that's what God wants to do with us. So he wants to do with you. So he has laid Jesus Christ down as the perfect cornerstone. And as each of us comes to Jesus Christ, earnestly desiring that pure spiritual milk of tasting his kindness, we're coming to Jesus. He will fill our hearts with his goodness. He will humble our hearts with his mercy. And so we will, we will take our place. Some of our rough edges will be filed off. We'll connect with each other. We'll love each other. We'll be humble together. And because we're humbly coming to the living stone, submitting ourselves to Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, we will then be formed up so that all this looks like a disorganized group of living stones will come together and be a spiritual house of love and of unity. So that's the first result when we Come to Jesus as a living stone. Let him satisfy our hearts and submit ourselves to him. So here's the question. Is there anyone here at the Off-Island Church that, you, that you're, you, don't, you don't love? That you're bitter towards? That you're at odds with? Is there anyone here that, where there's friction? Where there's tension, where, the, where you're stones, but you're not fitting together very well. You're like, I want a little space here, a little chink in the wall. Is that going on here? In a group this size, I'm sure that there is. But so Paul, Peter would say, come to Jesus. Realize that it's wrong, that lack of love is wrong, and it's disrupting God's plan, and the search and rescue team is not as strong as God wants it to be if there's that lack of love there. If there's friction, if there's tension, if there's distance, the search and rescue team is not what God wants it to be, and there won't be as many people saved as God wants to save. Eternity is at stake here. So please, please don't settle for lack of love in your heart for someone else. Don't settle for it. Listen, you might think, it's so strong, that bitterness, I could never change. You're right. You can't. I can't. But if you will come to the living Jesus the living stone, the pure spiritual milk, he will fill your heart. He will cause that anger, that bitterness to dissolve. You've experienced that before. You'll experience it again. Don't let any lack of love or bitterness or division continue. Please don't. For your sake, for the church's sake, for the lost's sake, for Christ's glory's sake. 
That's the first result that'll come. Built together into a loving and united spiritual house. Second, we will be a holy priesthood proclaiming the gospel to the nations. That's verse 5. Second half of verse 5. Verse 5 starts, You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now here Peter changes metaphors again. Instead of being a spiritual house, now, switch hats, we are a holy priesthood. And in the Old Testament, priesthood was, the priests were mediators between God and men, and they were representatives of God to men. And so what Peter is calling us to do is to be mediators representing God to people. Now, People don't come to God through us. They come to God through Jesus. Okay, don't misunderstand. But one of the functions of the Old Testament priest was to show people who God is, to represent to people who God is, to proclaim to people who God is. That's what Peter's calling us to do. Here's how Tom Schreiner puts it in his commentary on on this verse. He said, Israel's priesthood was such that they were to mirror to the nations the glory of Yahweh, Old Testament word for God. Now, New Testament time period, God's kingdom of priests consists of the church of Jesus Christ. We are priests, his priests. It too, the church, is to mediate God's blessings to the nations as it proclaims God's grace. That's what Peter's calling us to do, to be a holy priesthood proclaiming God's grace in Christ to the nations. And that's what will happen to us as we come to the Lord Jesus. I guarantee you, as you regularly come before the Lord Jesus, open up the word, pray, worship, taste of his kindness, you will be assured that you're forgiven for all your sins. You'll know the destiny, the inheritance, which Pastor Matthew's been talking about these last few weeks, the inheritance that you have in heaven. You'll be assured of forgiveness. You'll know the inheritance that's yours. You'll be so thrilled with your salvation and... Your heart will be broken for the laborer that you drive by who doesn't know Christ or for the neighbor who doesn't know Christ or for the person you work with who doesn't know Christ. When you meet Jesus and taste of his kindness, you'll be filled and broken for those who are lost. Like like Paul said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for lost people, Romans 9, 1 through 3. Great sorrow, unceasing anguish. That's what will come into our hearts for the lost when we come before the Lord Jesus. Is that in your heart? Do you have compassion for lost people? The search and rescue team needs to care about those who were lost in the wilderness of sin. Do you have that? If you don't, I have good news for you. Jesus will give it to you. He's holding it out to you. We can't stir that up in ourselves, but he will give it to you as we come to him. So coming to Jesus This is the result. We'll become a holy priesthood proclaiming his excellencies. Now, one problem that I always feel when we start talking about telling people about Jesus is I get fearful and timid. Anybody else fearful and timid about telling people about Jesus? Okay, many of us are, I know. But in verses 6 through 10, Peter says that as we draw near to Jesus, we will become bold 
in witness. Read through those verses and notice how these truths stir boldness in us. Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, and then Peter quotes from the Old Testament, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Even though it's rejected by them, it's still the cornerstone. doesn't change. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race. Talking to the church. You are a chosen race. A royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Do you feel the power of that? You, church, holy nation, look at each other. Royal priesthood, people for God's own possession. This is who God's made you to be, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do do, do you feel the, the boldness start to rise up in your heart? Let me just point out a couple things from these verses. When we come to Jesus, he reminds us that those who believe in him will not be put to shame, that's the end of verse 6, and will receive honor, beginning of verse 7. I think what he's referring to here is when Jesus comes back, as you've been faithful to share the gospel with people, remember what Jesus will say? He will look you right in the eyes. With joy and with love, he'll look you right in the eyes, and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Enter into the joy of the Lord. There's honor there. There's no shame there. Yes, people, human people can shame us here. The human shame comes is nothing. It'll be completely eclipsed by the honor of having Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, stand before you and look you right in the eye and say, well done, you, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Boldness, let it come. And that is what will come as we draw near to him. Then also verses 9 and 10, we're a chosen race, we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, we're a people for his own possession. We're not losers, in the sense of, yes, many people aren't following Christ, but they're not seeing the truth of who Jesus Christ is. We're God's people. We're his search and rescue team. We're commissioned. We're authorized to go and to proclaim. We've received mercy. So go and proclaim. So when we come to Jesus with timid hearts, with fearful hearts, with shaking knees and sweaty palms, the shaking knees and sweaty palms might still be there, but your heart will get more bold as you Come before Jesus and say, help me. Make me bold. He will do that. One more description of what kind of church we'll become. When we come to Jesus, our lives will be changed. And we will live so honorably, so honorably before other people that they, by seeing our lives and hearing our words, will be saved. That's the point of verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you, As sojourners and exiles, expatriates, there we are, 
I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that is, among lost people, honorable. Keep it honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The day of visitation is a reference to Jesus' return, second coming of Christ at the end of history. And when unbelievers glorify God on the day of visitation, now some scholars have different opinions, but I think the scholars are right who say that that's a reference to the fact that these unbelievers have been saved. And they've been saved, Peter says, largely by seeing our honorable conduct. Now, please don't make the mistake of thinking that if all you do is live an honorably conduct life, if if all you do is live a good life, that people will get saved. No one will get saved by just seeing somebody who's honest or who has integrity. All they'll think is, well, you're a really nice person, right? People are only saved by hearing the words of the gospel. We must speak, but we also must live. But don't make the mistake of thinking living is enough. It's not. But living is crucial. So think of what would happen for for God's people here in Abu Dhabi, honest in all of their transactions, patient with everyone that they meet, drivers, everyone, okay? Full of hope when they go through trials and difficulties, humble and kind and loving, caring for All classes of people, lower class, upper class, loving everyone, caring for everyone as God's people walk through Abu Dhabi living honorable lives. Lost people will see the difference. And they'll want to know what's going on, like Peter says later. They'll want to ask, tell me about this hope that you have. How do you have such hope in the midst of trials? They will see that, they will ask, they will be opened. And those kind of lives of of honor, of love, of humility, of truthfulness will be ours by coming to Jesus. A couple of years ago, um, I was part of a home group in in America, and we were going to put on a barbecue at a park and invite some of our friends to come who didn't know the Lord. And one of the young men invited his sister, and we were praying that she would come, and she decided that she would come. But he warned us ahead of time. He said, now... She is very disillusioned with Christianity. She's very put off by the church. She's had some bad experiences with Christians, but she said she'd be willing to come. And so we were praying together, fill us with your spirit, fill us with your love, give us love and compassion for her and for the other new people that are coming this day. Pour out your grace, save people, do a mighty work. We were praying, God, help us to be loving and to be united. And again, we're not, we were not perfect people. But when we came together, there was a lot of love there. There was a lot of unity there. There was a lot of compassion expressed towards her. People, tell me your story. and what's cool? How can we pray for you? And there's, there's just a lot of real beautiful love and care and humility and tenderness and joy and laughter. It was a great time. Good food, too. On the way home, she told her brother, and this is not to our credit. I mean, this could be true for you. Or any, any, but she said, I've never met Christians like those Christians. They loved. They were real. They weren't perfect. They were ordinary but loving and humble people. She goes, I'm not so sure I'm as disillusioned with Christianity as I used to be. Now, 
She's not become a Christian yet, last we've heard, but she was deeply impacted. That's the kind of people we will become as we overcome the sins that Peter lists in verse 1, those sins that Satan wants to use to disrupt us as, as a community, as a search and rescue team, as we overcome those by coming to Jesus, earnestly desiring the pure spiritual milk of tasting his kindness. As we do that, these are what we will become as a people. Now, it's always crucial to, I just want to remind you, some of you, I would guess, are feeling discouraged thinking, that bar is set way too high for me. I could never jump over that one. No malice, you don't know what this person did to me. No envy, you don't know how hard I've got it. No hypocrisy, whatever, bar set too high. Listen, the bar is set too high for you. It's not set too high for those who come to Christ. You can't do this by your strength and power. I can't do this by my strength and power. Jesus will enable me and you to do this by his power. If we come to him, earnestly desire the pure spiritual milk, seek to taste of his goodness, come to him as to a living stone. Let these truths give us boldness. Let these truths humble our hearts. Let the Holy Spirit give us a taste of his kindness in the truths of who he is. Our hearts will be transformed and you, Off-Island Church, will become more and more and more of what Peter describes here. Don't let Satan undermine the search and rescue team that God wants to form here. You've already seen people brought to faith. You've already been used by God as a search and rescue team. Awesome things are happening through this church. And there's more. God has more. So don't let Satan undermine the plans that God has for this church by letting malice continue, envy continue, hypocrisy, deceit, slander continue. Don't let it continue. Every bit of that stuff, get rid of it, destroy it by coming to Jesus, earnestly desiring the pure spiritual milk of who he is, coming to him as a living stone. Don't let these sins continue. If, you, if you're dealing with them, he will help you. Deal with them today. I plead with you. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that through your word, the truths that are in your word right here, by the power of your spirit, that you would come upon us and that any malice that's here, any envy or slander, any hypocrisy or deceit, Lord, that you would convict us right now and give us hope that you, by your power, can overcome those. And I pray that right now we would each be coming to you, earnestly desiring to taste afresh of your goodness so our hearts can be filled and so the sins will dissolve and so that we will love each other more and be united with each other more and be more involved in the search and rescue team here so that we can do what you have planned of seeking and saving the lost here in this area. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.